Therefore, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now, we're kind of doing a continuation from last week. And if you guys were here last week, you remember we talked about how our life is very much like what we what the Israelites went through from the aspect that they were born in slavery, that God pulled them out through the blood of a sacrifice of the lamb, took them through the, 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 the wilderness to the promised land. And that promised land, as we talked about last week, is really a representation of our life as a Christian, how we are not part of this world. God is bringing us to the point of the promised land. And so today we're actually going to lean and talk more about that, what it truly means when it comes to our destination. You know, we have different things. We read Scripture, the promised land. We have God's rest, and of course we have eternal life. And so as we talk about this, what do we really think of what eternal life is? So when we think of eternal life, what, what do we imagine? Is it all about no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow? Which is true, but is that what we think about? Is it um, you know, no more dying? Um, not going to hell. You know, I don't want to go to hell. I'd rather go to heaven because it's a better place. I'd rather go there. So that's what I want to do. How about, um, it's interesting because there was a song that came out. I think it was Audio Drilling. It was been a long time ago. A song that came out, Big House. I don't know if very many people remember it or something like that. And I can't remember the lyrics so whole, but it was like, you know, big, big table with lots, lots of food. Big, big yard where you can play football. Big house is my father's house. And... You know, the thought is on there is, is all the good things that we come that come with being there, but same situation is our thoughts about the food, that we're going to have all this stuff that, that's going to be provided for us. Um, scripture talks also about, you know, mansions. You know, we think about what God has for us when it comes to what we're supposed to, you know, supposed to live in, you know. I've seen messages talk about this. Uh-oh. Are we Okay. I've seen message talking about that, just about that, when we don't really understand what that truly means, but is that our thought? Um, you know, the golden kingdom, you know, all the good things of it, you know. Um, is it eternal entertainment? Is it the aspect of eternal party, eternal vacation? You know, is it something that God has been wanting us there so bad that now we're there that he's ready to just lavish his love on us and do all these great things for us? Is that our thoughts? Because a lot of times, even in the church today, we see many people that really, when we think about heaven, we don't understand what really is eternal life. We're thinking about the things we get, but not understanding what the true prize is. In 1 John chapter 1, and we'll read the verse, first couple of verses in here, we're going to talk about this. That which was from the beginning which we have heard. Now, John is talking, so think about him when he's talking because he's the one that's talking about his experience. This is something he's experienced. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. 
The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. I want you to understand in reading that scripture what it's really saying. Because when we're talking about eternal life here, it's not what, but who. It's interesting. Look at John. John, the disciple of John, uh, been with, you know, one of the, basically the main three disciples um, that was with Christ the most, wrote the book of John. And then, of course, we have him re- seeing him writing these three books, the uh, first, second, third, and John. And it's just interesting because in 1 John chapter 1, he refers Christ as the Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's interesting, now in 1 John chapter 1, he's referring to Christ as eternal life. So what's he saying here? Really that. Eternal life is Christ. Now we're going to go through some different verses on here and everything to really kind of talk about what this means and everything, but really think about that. Who is the prize? It's him. He is the prize. He's what we're going for and everything. When we think about eternal life and we're looking at everything else and everything and not him, what, is, what are we doing? Because quite frankly, this is something that happens even today when it comes to even when you talk about relationships now. Now, there's a term for it, and I'm not going to say it because I'm at the pulpit and everything, and I just don't know all the connotations that could come with it and everything, but it really comes to this. People who look for relationship because of what they get out of it. You know, how many people, you know, I want to get married, you know, who are you looking for? Well, I don't just want someone rich. You know, if he has rich, you know, you care what he looks like? No, as long as he has money. As long as he gives me where I can be able to do whatever I want to do, and can go both ways, because I, I know I use that he or she, but really, quite frankly, it's the same thing. I know you guys, probably, you guys probably think about the term and everything and so forth, and I'm just being careful because... I'm not too familiar with it to not know if there's more stuff that comes behind that term that should not be, um, well, really spoken behind the pulpit and everything and so forth. But that's the question. Are we really searching for him? Are we really wanting him? Or is our goal is everything we get because of him? And I'm going to tell you that's idolatry. Idolatry. Because what we're doing is we're seeking things and not him. He is the prize. So continue. John chapters 10, verses 27 through 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now understand that when he says about hear my voice. It's not about the fact of him just saying that, that he's talking about that I just heard. Like there's someone over here talking I can just hear. This aspect that they hear and know his voice, that they know exactly it's him speaking. Now, it's interesting. We, a couple years ago, we went to um, Branson, and we went to the Sight Sound Theater. I forget what it was we were watching. I think it was, I think it was Noah or something like that. Was it? Huh? Huh? No, no. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Anyways, we didn't see that down there anyways. But anyways, um, <laughs> I think it was Jonah's one of those and so forth and everything. And I remember we're sitting there, and all of a sudden I heard a voice. I knew exactly what it was. It was Joplin. We didn't know they were going. 
And the fact that I heard him talk and I knew exactly, I was like, wait a minute, where's he at? Why? Because I knew him. I know his voice. And so you've got to realize there's a ton of voices going on in this place. I mean, it's, it's a constant roar because you've got everybody talking. And this is before pre-COVID, so obviously this place is getting pretty packed and everything. And, but yet with all this noise and all the people talking and everything, I heard his voice. Enough to wait a minute. That's Joplin. Where's he at? Not knowing he's supposed to be there. I mean, they actually sat right in front of us. It was just like the weirdest thing that neither one's planned to be, you know, didn't know either one's going to be there, but we have to be there at the same time. That's what it means to know his voice. To know his voice means you have to be around him to be able to hear him, to listen to him, and to be able to obey what he speaks. Okay? So, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So you got to realize, knowing his voice, to know his voice and hear his voice, you have to be continually following him. Christ is leading in by leading us where we're to go, which means there's constant movement. Look back in the Old Testament when we talk about the, the Israelites being led by the pillar of uh, fire or by the, by the pillar of cloud. When they were moving... It was moving. So as it's moving, they're following. When it stopped, they stopped. So look in the same aspect of here too. God is leading, Christ is leading us and everything, which means we need to be following. So if he's moving and I'm not following, eventually what happens? I can't hear anymore. I mean, think, using that same example as Joplin and everything and so forth, we have to be in the right place. If I'd been on the other side of the arena or whatever you call it, you think it would have hurt him then? No, because all the other the, the voices would have drowned it out and everything because they're all close to me and I wouldn't be able to hear that. So we, to, to have the aspect of understanding to um, hear him and to know him always comes with following him at the same time. And I give them eternal life. Now think about that. I give them eternal life. Compare that to the verse we just read in 1 John. He gives them himself. I give you me. to kind of get used to doing, using this iPad and everything, make sure I'm in my spot and everything. Um, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Why? Because you're in me. You're with me. So when I give you myself, you have me. There's nothing that can take me from my hands. Hebrews 11, verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now we're going to go through a couple of verses here real quick and everything, and we're going to do a lot of explanation afterwards and everything, but I want to start there first because another thing we're going to talk about also in understanding what eternal, eternal life is is also the belief of having it. So we understand last week when we talked about the Israelites not being able to go into the promised land originally is because they had no belief. The first thing, the first evidence that we know they didn't have belief is because they had no faith. God had called them and brought them out and did all these signs. He opens up the Red Sea for them. I mean, think about that. You had the sea that just opens up, and, and we have all the pictures and everything, what it might look like. We have no clue exactly what it looked like. But to know there's a sea and then also there's dry ground, that's pretty impressive. And then they go through, and then there's other things that take place, and God provides for them everything, brings them uh, water, and brings them food, brings them manna, and they see all these things and so forth. And yet, even to the point when they come to the promised land, they're looking at circumstances 
in not looking at what God has already done. He's already overcome these other circumstances, but yet they didn't believe they can overcome these. So there was no faith. And without faith, we cannot have belief. So to understand belief, belief and faith are two things interchangeable. You cannot believe God and have no faith. You cannot have faith and, and not believe God. They are hand in hand. So understanding that aspect, that's the first thing we want to talk about. The second thing we're going to talk about, and I'm going to use a verse, and I know you're going to look at this verse thinking, okay, this is kind of a unique verse. But I'll choose this verse because of the fact of, we'll go back and explain it when it comes to the, the Israelites as well, but we're going to talk about it when it comes to understanding what the Scripture says. And it's in Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 22, well, we're going to skip, well, no, we'll do 22. Um, Why submit yourself to your husbands as to the Lord? For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is a savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. First Peter, First Peter chapter 3 actually echoes this a little bit too. It says, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. So this is another aspect of belief. Now, I know this is going to be... there's. The problem with doing this is a lot of times we, there's so many scriptures we can talk about everything, and when you only have so much time, it's, it, you can't bring everything out. But I, there's a reason why I'm using the scripture, and I know you think, wait a minute, that's kind of the scripture we use for talking about marriage. Um, it's interesting. Yes, we, my wife and I, we actually teach love and respect, and chapter 5 of Ephesians is really the, the basis of talking about marriage. But we're not going to talk about marriage today because... When we talk about when we when we talk about this, this is showing marriage as being an example of how Christ is with a church. So we're not going to talk about that side. We're actually going to talk about the aspect of Christ and how He is with the church and understanding how we are in looking to that eternal city and looking unto Him. So first of all, um, we'll talk about holiness because when we read this scripture here, it says. And we said, let me, let me read it once, once more. Uh, I must have moved up a little bit. This is kind of getting used to do this thing. Um, here we go. Um, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, when he says he might sanctify, what is he saying? Making her holy. It's actually the purpose of making us holy. Now, holiness is something that is required also to belief. I'm going to go back to the Israelites. So there's a couple things that God did with them when he came when he brought them out of Israelites, out of, out of Egypt to take them to the promised land. He did first thing, he he um, um, uh, showed them everything for who he was so that they can put faith in him. But second of all, he did things in the purpose of separating them from everybody else, to make them separate, to make them holy. 
The problem with the Israelites is, and this is the issue, when we look at them and they did not have belief, we've got to understand that that belief is actually made evident in the fact of their lack of faith and their unwillingness to be holy. Now, the unwillingness to be holy, I want to explain this a little bit and everything, because the fact, you know, we can look at it partly when it comes to the fact that, you know, when God brought them out, they still did things to, in idolatry. You know, they made, made the golden calf and stuff like that. And there's different things when it comes to sin that they, that they didn't put their faith in him and they didn't set themselves apart. But I want you to know that that separation was not done at the very beginning. God pulled them out of Egypt, and he pulled them to be his own, to come with him. Their mind had never left Egypt. Every time something came up, an issue that came up, a hardship came up, all they can think of was Egypt. God, why'd you bring us out here to die? If we'd been in Egypt, we'd been okay. It's interesting because they've been in bondage all this time and, and, and been praying that God delivered them, and then he delivers them, and he brings them through some, and it's going to go through some hard time because we never promise that it's going to be easy. There's always going to be difficulty we're going to go through, but he's always promised that he will carry us through. But in that promise, every time they went through anything, it was always the same thing. Why did you bring us out here to die? Started from when they went, uh, when they started at the at the uh, Red Sea, as of that they they did then, throughout the wilderness, and then finally when they're at the uh, Promised Land, at when when they had brought the the spies in, came back same situation. Oh, there are giants in here. What'd you do? Bring us all out here for you know they'll do all kinds of things to us and everything and so forth and and. It would have been better if we would have just been in Egypt. They never left Egypt. With everything God did to bring them to him and everything and so forth, they never separated to him. They were always back in Egypt. And Egypt is always representative of bondage. And so holiness does one aspect. It brings us out of bondage and brings us to him. So let me explain about holiness, because I want to really kind of talk about this. And, and actually, Joplin actually talked about this a while back. But holiness is really about being completely separate, completely different. So you have God who is completely holy. There is no one like God. He is perfect. He is complete holiness. He is holy. Matter of fact, if there's, only thing, if there's one thing that we can call that we know that's synonymous to his name is holiness. When you talk about godliness, we're talking about holiness because God is holy. Look at the angels. What are they constantly saying when they're in, in, in his presence? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because why? He is completely holy. He is perfect. There is no guile in him. There's no, no evil in him. There's nothing in him that's completely anything outside that. He is complete holy. You've got the world over here. That is completely separate from that. They're completely wicked. They're, the, the mentality of, of the world is to do everything they can to and find more ways to be wicked. It's all about doing everything for myself and trying to do and push the envelope more and more and more to, to try to be more and more and more evil. So there cannot be any, any closeness between the two. They are completely one way or the other. Matter of fact, you know, a lot of times people say, well, it's like oil and water, but I even, I even say it's worse. It's not even like that. You know how a magnet is, you know, if, when they stick together, they're together, but you turn it over and you have that where they have the resistance where they don't come to. That's what I view it more. They cannot even get close. They're that much different. 
And so when we are called and we are brought out of this, God calls us to be holy. Well, how do you be holy? A lot of times we think it's works. You know, is it don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. No. Being holy is literally getting as close to God as you can and getting closer and getting closer and getting closer. Because really, quite frankly, I, can't, I cannot do anything in myself for me to change. When you're talking about works, I cannot be good enough, I cannot be better when it comes to me trying to get the approval from God, aside from me chasing after Him. But as I come closer to Him, what happens? He removes those things in me. Matter of fact, the more I see Him and the more I view Him and His holiness, the more it drives me to want to be more like that. And so through that process, God Himself does the work in removing those things. And as I get closer, God may reveal something in my life and realize there's something I need to get, you know, we've got to deal with this. have got to remove it, whatever the case would be. And so however that process takes and so forth, and, and everybody's a little different. Sometimes it could be a pretty quick process. Sometimes it may be a little bit of work because God's working in through this until he brings us out of that. Then as we go along, as we get closer, there's something else. Now, our sanctification, as we know, is lifelong. You know, when he says he sanctifies, that's, that's continually. We are not going to be done sanctified until we come before him and in his presence at that point and we're completely clean. But when it comes to the understanding that we cannot be sanctified at all, it is also wrong. Because sanctification is a process and there should be continued sanctification. There should be continued growth. There should be continued change in our lives. And so it's interesting because we talk about work and, and yeah, we can't work for our salvation, but there is work that needs to be done. When the Bible says to be diligent, that means I need to be focused. I need to be doing something. I need to be doing what the Word of God says. And the fact of me walking this way is still work. It's still me chasing God and still me doing something for, to receive what God has for us, for all those who truly love Him and truly are seeking Him and truly wanting to follow Him. And so there is a response. There is something, a process I should be doing to get to that point. So when we talk about heaven, and I'm going to talk about this and everything, it's not about just saying a prayer. I don't know how many times I've heard people say that they're, that they're struggling with something and they don't know what they're, how to deal with it and everything and so forth, and they talk to goodwill people around them. And I say goodwill because I'm not saying they're trying to be bad or anything like that and so forth. And not trying to deal with them with a problem or not recognize that there may be an issue with a problem and there may be an issue you have to deal with. I'm looking more, well, don't you remember you said a prayer? Hey, we're all going to go through stuff and everything and so forth. God's got this and everything. You're going to be okay. You said a prayer. And a lot of times the issues we go through is more because of the fact that our lives are not where God wants us to be and everything, and that's just a testament of what's going on, and we need to be find out what it is, and really we need to have brothers and sisters in our face or in our, around us that we have around us that will tell us, hey, look, you, there's an issue here. You need to find out what's going on and everything. We need to be praying because there's an issue here and everything and so forth, and we need to find out what's going on because you don't want to miss what God has promised for all of those and love us. You know, it, we read Matthew 7, and it says, many people is going to be called before God and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things? It's interesting 
how many people will be standing there saying, but God, I was told that I was okay, that I said a prayer, that, I, that, that you know, all I had to do was say a prayer and everything's fine, so forth, and everything, I'm, I'm good to go. The bad thing about it is, is in a lot of those cases, the very people that told them may be standing in line with them. The one thing I'm going to tell you about is when it comes to brothers and sisters, this is a little extra and everything, God gave us brothers and sisters for a purpose. To exhort one another, to encourage one another, to make sure we are being strong in the faith and make sure we are not wavering. But we've got to be careful about that because a lot of times what we do is we, repeat, we bring people around us that kind of tickle our ears. I want to make, make sure we feel okay. You know, I don't really want to change. I just want to feel like I'm okay. And even as believers, we are never called to try to make them feel okay. We're to be there to speak the word because there's going to be conviction there. And even if they don't like it, that's not the point. The point is we're still here to warn them because judgment is coming and hell is hot and, and the fire of God is, is not going to be something they're going to take. And I'd rather be, I'd rather not like me because the fact I'm telling the truth to them than to me set aside and, and just try to, you know, it's okay. And so... Those are little extra things on there, so forth, I guess, that I went through and everything. Um, but we need to understand that we, to, to be holy, to have that holiness, is to draw close to Him. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, uh, um, Ephesians chapter 5. Because I want to hit on this a little more when it comes to understanding that holiness and, and how it is in a response in him making us that way. And I want to compare that to actual marriage. So usually we're looking at marriage to, to recognize how marriage is when it comes to uh, how we should be compared to how the Word talks about him. But now I'm going to talk about how the Word is comparing to marriage. Now, when I talk about marriage in this case, I'm going to talk about the perfect situation, how God designed marriage in the first place. So I'm not going to... A lot of times we can, we can look at issues in marriage, we can look at all these things, and, and unfortunately we are in a... a period of time now where marriage is not, is, is all over the place and everything. But I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this when it comes to holiness. Think about when you, got, you have that marriage day coming up. Well, think about when you're first together. I've got five boys. Everyone's had a girlfriend here and there. And when they did, like, hey, come home sometimes too. We'd like to see you too. You know, they're on the phone all the time. I mean, one will be playing games, and she's on the phone right there just listening to play games. I'm like, <laughs> but why? Because, because, because there's an aspect that they, they want to be together. There's more and more want to be together. And so, you know, they, that, that, they just want to do that. Well, then, obviously, maybe down the road, they, um, um, he, he asked her to marry him and so forth and everything. And so what happens then? Usually, there's preparation for it. I mean, think women. Getting the hair done, you know, getting the dress and everything, stuff like that. You're you're looking to make be perfect that person that night to be perfect when I'm when he comes, you know, we're together and everything. We want everything to be perfect. We're doing all this to prepare for that. You know, back in the Old Testament, we talk about Esther in, in the story of Esther. Esther, they that's when they were in exile and they 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 uh, um, were now in cap, uh, in captivity and so forth. And the king was looking for a wife and so forth and everything. And so there was basically a, a, a prey to women that's going to be 
presented to him and everything and so forth for him to decide, you know, for him to have a wife and everything and so forth. And Esther was one of them. The preparation for Esther in this period of time was a whole year. Think about that. Being pampered all year long for the purpose of being presented to the king. Now, I'm talking about the aspect, but I'm going to talk about this when it comes to us being holy and without spot or wrinkle of being prepared for him in the aspect of are we truly being prepared for him when it comes to eternity? If he is eternal life and he is a prize, what are we doing to be prepared for him? Are we truly trying to be holy? Are we truly working to be holy and to be right before him and everything and truly seeking him, wanting to know him? I'm going to tell you, if that's the case, then we've got to understand how it looks like. If I'm only spending 10 or 20 minutes a day reading the scripture, maybe in prayer, but I spend five hours before the TV, I have no desire for him. Literally, I have no desire for him. I am not prepared for him. I'm not preparing for him. If I'm spending my self in my career, and that's my focus, and I don't have very much time for him because I'm trying to build an empire or whatever, guess what? I have no time for him. I am not prepared for him. I'm just using a couple of examples. There's, there's a whole lot more examples than that. It could be entertainment. It could be sports. Am I more focused on sports than everything else? It's interesting because I kind of hit on that and everything, and God convicted me of that a long time ago. We can know very little of the Bible, but we can know about every sports person on every team. Um, we, we get excited. We're more excited about going to seeing a game, and we, we have more emotion and, and more thrill for that than we do being in his presence. And I'm not talking about in church. I'm talking about home in our quiet place before him. That's what I'm talking about. Being one and desire to be with him, wanting and desire to have my time directly with him. I'm going to say this. Um, I truly believe and completely and more and more convinced as we talk about our life and everything and in the aspect of uh, being delivered, set free, and coming into eternity, that God's purpose is not necessarily about me being, uh, about us um, having the having the, the prize or whatever that he has necessarily. And I, and I want to say that the best way because I want to make sure I'm saying this correctly. Not that he doesn't want to do that, but it's not the main aspect. To be honest with you, the main aspect that God is doing is more preparing a bride for his son. I want you to think about that. It's not necessarily about me that God is trying to do something great in me, although he is. And, that's, and, and, and there is a purpose there. But the purpose is not necessarily just about me. It's all about his son. Think about it. When Christ is on the earth, what does he do? He elevates his father. And when the father speaks to the son, what is he doing? Elevating his son. We are only elevated with his son. Because without his son, we are not. We are nothing. We are condemned. And so when we actually understand that everything, so forth. My thought is this, is if, if that's truly true, if that's really the case, 
then what am I really preparing for? What am I really doing to make sure I am not missing out on that marriage, on that, on that time? And it's something that we each have to really pay attention to. You know, it says in... Um, I'm going to need my glasses again. <clears throat> um, in Matthew 22... Um, it talks about servants to tell them to go to the highways and gather everybody that they can find to come to the marriage and so forth. Obviously, they're having an issue. You know, um, I'm trying to kind of go through this pretty quick. Uh, but it says, finally, um, uh, when, when, when they were gathered there and the king came to see the guests, he saw a man who, was, who did not have a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, "Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be no weeping, or there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth." Now look at that in, conject, in connection with when we talk about Ephesians, where it says that uh, Christ loved the church and gave himself um, uh, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or, or any such thing, but that he should be made holy and without blemish got to understand here what we're talking about is we are set god is preparing us for a purpose and we should be clothed and ready for that time because if we're not ready we do not receive this is this is something that that has been burning my heart for a while and everything so far because i see today that we have a a church today that is is so focused on everything else we're so focused on 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 activities, we're so focused on, well, even so focused on politics, we're focused on, on, on entertainment, we're so focused on sports, we're f- so focused on, on all these things, so forth, and very little focus is on Him. We can see that also in our, in our ministry. We don't really have people that really go out to preach the gospel. You know, there's two persons of the Holy Spirit. God sent the Holy Spirit. Christ said, when I leave, the Holy Spirit, the comfort is going to come. But there's two main purposes of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times we think of the gifts, we think of the, the, all that stuff and everything, but those aren't the purposes. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is one, is in his name. He is a spirit of holiness. He is here to make us holy. That is, one, that is what he is here to do, is to make us holy, to, to bring us, to help us in the sanctification process. Second thing is to preach the gospel. Acts 1.8, and you shall receive power, and after this the Holy Ghost will come upon you, and you will be witnesses. That's not a suggestion. It's like, hey, you know, you're going to feel a little more strong to go do this. No, you are now a witness because what the Holy Spirit's in you and everything, you now become a witness of what Christ is doing in your life, and you cannot shut up about it. And you have to go out and tell people about it. Because why? The Holy Spirit's in us. We have, we have done horrible when it comes to the Holy Spirit in, in, in downplaying exactly who he is. He is God. If God is in me, how can I not change? If God is truly in me, which is Holy Spirit, He is part of the Godhead, you know, God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, they are all one. If He is in me and I am the temple of God and He resides in me, I cannot, it is impossible for me not to change, not to be transformed, not to be continuously being uh, uh, sanctified. Why? Not because of who I am but because of who he is and with his strength. Yes, I have no power in myself, but he has all power. And there's nothing that he cannot do. And if he's in me, then he will do the work in me. He's promised he'll do the work in me, and he will do it. He will complete it, which is back to understanding belief. Because in believing God, knowing he's going to do that, then I know he's going to do it regardless of the circumstances. 
See, when I talk about those three being held hand in hand, when it comes to belief, when it comes to holiness, and when it comes to faith, it's all together. Because as I have faith, I need to understand that God is telling me to let go of here because we're bringing him close to here. I may not understand it. It may not be comfortable. I may be laughed at. I may be persecuted about it. I may have all these things that take place, but am I worried about that? Or I'm looking at God realizing he's got all they need to control. I mean, look at the disciples. All but one was led to death. And yet, it doesn't matter. God, if you're leading me there, that doesn't matter because you have all things control. And we put our faith knowing you have everything in, in your hands. And there is nothing you don't have control of. And so a lot of times we don't want to do it. Why? Because we're trying to hold on to some aspect of that life. And yet, what does the scripture says? We can hold on to this life and we lose it. Or we can lose it for his sake and find his life, which is from the son who John refers to as eternal life our prize, which he gives freely to, freely to all those who truly serve him. If you want to go ahead and head on up here and everything. I just got a couple more things I want to speak on everything. So for the couple things I talked about last week, do we really believe God? Not do we believe in God? Do we really believe God? That he's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. And understanding that, knowing that regardless of the circumstance of this life, no matter what it takes us through, do I truly believe him that he's going to carry us through? Now, I had a little example before, too, when it comes to God as being a mountain. And I kind of had this idea because being in Honduras, of course, we got mountains and we got Selake, the largest mountain that's right behind us and everything and so forth, which one of these days we're going to go hike. It's going to be pretty cool, I think. Um, but imagine him as being a mountain. And God had, wants us to know him, which means God wants to scale him. God wants us to explore him. God wants to look to him. But what do we do? It gets a little tough. And so we don't go any further. We may get up to the foothills. But we don't go any further because that's a little rocky. That's difficult. That's dangerous. It's interesting because I believe a lot of the church today are more selfie Christians. Using that example, hey, look, I'm with God. I got the mountain behind me. See, click, that one with God. And yet we don't experience God because we're not with God. I'll tell you, we can all have a face to make it look like that we're okay. And what's interesting is there's going to be many, like I said, Matthew, or, um, uh, in chapter 7, it's talking about that very same thing, that we even fool our own selves. Now, we're going to have the altars open, and, I, and really, we do this most services. And this is just basically, if you want to come before and, and pray, if you need prayer, we always want to have the, the altars open. Um, but there's two verses I'm going to talk about, and I spoke them last week. First and Second Peter 1, verses 10. Therefore, brethren, be, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do those things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And then 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Christ is in you? And unless indeed you are disqualified? And we talked last week when it comes to today. While it's still today, make sure your heart's not hardened. Now, I want to talk about that and everything because I know sometimes when you're talking in an altar call, we're, we're trying to use that as in now come the altar and everything. Which, if you need to altar, you need to come to the altar. So I'm not going to take that away. But those verses are not meant for just today. When tomorrow's today, it's still meant for today, that day. When Tuesday's today, examine yourself. Test yourself. When Wednesday's today, do it again. Thursday and Friday. This is something that's not just something that we talk about on Sundays and here do it and everything. Because I'm telling you, if, if this is the only time you're finding place before God, it's not for the week, you're not truly finding God. God is not a week-to-week -week God. God wants you. He is jealous of you and wants your time, wants your, wants your fellowship, wants to know you and wants you to know Him on a daily, today basis. Matter of fact, when you talked about manna last week and everything, that was something they provided every week. Christ is here, bread of life, for us to have each and every day. So when I, when we, when, oh, when I talk about the Scriptures, I want you to think about this and actually focus on when you actually go throughout the week. Tomorrow morning, when you get up, God, check me. The psalmist said, search my heart, know my thoughts, and try my ways. If there's anything within me, anything evil within me, take it out and remove it. That should be something we should be focused on every day. God, do your work today. I don't want something for tomorrow. I don't want to focus on what may happen down the way. I don't want to be something, something gradual that, hey, you know, maybe you're going to just speak to me and everything's going to happen. No. Today is a day, God. I need you. I need a touch of you. I need to know you. I need to experience you. I need to hear your voice and know your voice. And what you get tomorrow, don't be satisfied with that. Tuesday, once again, God, I had it yesterday, but it's not enough. I need more today. We're coming to, to times that I believe they're going to be very difficult. Things are changing faster and faster all the time. And I know a lot of times we're going to look at politics, we're going to look at people and stuff like that, but I'm going to tell you this is something that's going to happen. The scripture says it's going to happen. The problem is, are, are we as a church prepared? Because the scripture said that there's going to be many people that are going to fall to faith, even to the elect we're going to fall. So people that would seem to be strong, seem to, people that seem to be right on in the faith will fall away because they cannot handle the pressure and the persecution that's going to be coming. Now, I'm going to talk about two sides of that because one, yes, it's something we need to prepare for, but two, we have to understand that we ought to be excited about that too. I'm going to ask why we'd be excited about persecution. Because in every example of persecution throughout the world that we've seen, we've seen the true church rise up. We've seen the true power of God take place and everything, and we see God truly moving. And people I know of that's been in other countries that have gone through persecution, they were not asking for persecution to go away. Why? Because they felt more the presence of God during that period of time than they ever do outside. I've, had, I've seen people or heard people that have come to the States to, separate, to, to, to um, flee the persecution going, going on, 
turn around and go back to face it because they felt themselves going to sleep here. I pray for the church that we do wake up. I pray that God does open our eyes, that we are alert, that we see what's going on, that we can pay attention so we can be prepared to be used for what God uses and that we can be a herald of, of, of the scriptures to the world around us, pleading for them to come to him, knowing that time is short, knowing our family and our friends and people around are looking to die an eternal death, an eternal damnation, eternal judgment maybe waiting for that one person to speak the word in their life, to preach the gospel, that their ears can hear, that the Holy Spirit can be able to convict, and they can come to Christ. And that person could be you. How many opportunities are we missing because of the fact that we're not doing what God has called us to do?